Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood for the BF Goodrich TAKM3. Built to climb, made to mud and created to conquer. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tyres. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Real Adventures Show, as well as Twitter and Instagram. The queen of Instagram, as always, Aaron Habgood, one of Victoria's premier anglers. Good morning, Redmond. Morning, Patrick. Uh, how's the old body holding up? Body's feeling good. Always a, a solid hit out on bit, a Friday night. but um, Bit of fishing to... Loosen up this week. Well, exactly right. The uh, footy finals is upon us, September, which of course means warmer weather. It does, and warmer weather means, well, my feet not freezing every morning, but it means the fishing is going to improve. Um, we're going to see... Stay away from your feet. We've got um, <laughs> just uh, tuning for the flying gaff a little later on in the show because your feet may just... Leave my foot, my foot alone. It's uh, taking. It's a bit of a memory on the old foot there, Patrick. But uh, yeah, it's, it getting, is. it's getting the gaff a little later <laughs> on. Uh, it's, hey, uh, Redmond, it's starting to warm up. Before we get into it, just uh, looking around the country, the Australian Bass and Estuary Perch Close Season, which is May to August, uh, is finished up in New South Wales and Queensland. So anglers can now target these species, which are incredibly popular and obviously a native fish. So um, that's after their annual spawning and migration. Which uh, which happens obviously late um, autumn and into winter, so fishos you know, in the northern part of the country hugely popular bass bass fishing is one of the it's a pretty exciting um, pastime I think well, They're very aggressive fish. I haven't done any yeah I haven't done any bass fishing have you caught bass yeah we used to we actually used to have a bass at home um, but they've you can't count that as catching a bass no <laughs> but on the back of when we travelled around Australia um, and, and up the sort of eastern um, seaboard. Uh, it was one of the fish that we sort of yeah. the, the trophy fish for Dad and I because we love them growing up. See huge amounts of um, obviously bass fishing in the states and how aggressive it's massive they are. Over there, isn't it? Our Australian bass, though, I would argue, are more aggressive. So I reckon I've heard that as well. I reckon I've heard Americans say that when they've caught both, that the yeah, the Australian one bass is a lot more aggressive. Yep. So that that is opened up, which is great to see. Trout season as well. Yes, uh, in the um, streams as you as you target them down in the Otways there. That's uh, yep. I think it kicked off today. I think it opened today, Saturday. Um, yeah, I reckon you might be right. I reckon it's smack bang. So, um, and if you've seen, if you've looked at the Otway uh, streams of late, mm-hmm. great water movement through there. At the and that's moment. what you Obviously, want, isn't it? Yeah, we had storms a few weeks ago, and, and last week, um, I reckon it was last Monday, last Sunday, Monday. It was 
absolutely bucketing down, mm. which means it's had the week to sort of settle. settle down. All the silt and sediment calms down. Beautiful conditions for, for fishing, which is great. Um, a little bit of – we don't cover enough of this, I don't think, Pat, to be honest with you. We, we do our best, but we always get excited about boats. land base. we're going to talk a little bit about land base fishing, but have you ever seen a little bit of land-based sky fishing? <laughs> uh not to this extent, extent, and I know what you're talking about, and it was it's it's created a huge uh, buzz. Redmond, mm-hmm. um, just a but stuntman <laughs> Sam Foreman. He he's in trouble. The boy, the boys are in trouble because they've built themselves a uh, a hybrid drone, basically that's capable of carrying a hundred kilos. So they have built this themselves, um, and Sam is a uh, he's an, a Victorian electrician. And his cousin have built this drone that has basically lifted up Sam and they've gone for a bit of a spin and he's caught a fish off the drone. Now, I'm not quite sure if that fish is... Um, You're not too happy with the photo of the fish, are you? Well, it looked like its throat had been cut and it is a barramundi. So, um, <laughs> not quite sure if, if, if that in itself is uh, was legitimate. But the boys are in a little bit of strife with the um, the the CAA, I think it's called. It's the um, airway. I'm just trying to find it now. What the actual correct term is? What is it? It's the uh, the CASA. CASA, which is the well, whatever they are, they don't matter and they don't Civil count. Aviation Safety Authority. As now, I'm reading it in front of me. Now, can you do anything in this world anymore? Yeah, I, I agree. Like, you know, what's wrong with flying a hundred meters above? Um, you know, a lake being towed by a drone. You know, if, if, like, <laughs> is that that unsafe? Put it, put it like that. But that's their choice. That but, is. Like, I know. Well, they say it's an unmanned drone. Oh, I don't think, I think you could argue <laughs> it's an unmanned drone. The boys aren't happy. So they was the guy flying it? Fun. Was he flying it, the guy who was actually in it? Or was there a... No, no, they, he was on a chair. Yeah, I know he was on a chair. I've seen the photo in the video. And uh, I think the cousin was, was on the land. With the controller. Yeah. He's he had a uh, VB in, in yeah, one, one of the uh, it was a whatever chair they were at him. So there's a drink holder, stubby cooler in one, and uh, he's fishing from the other. Timmy French, I think, was his cousin. So I, I think, I'm all for it. I think it's hilarious. I think it's great. And you know what? Send me one down because I want to try it down here. Be all right. There's a great quote. He uh, the reservoir flight. Um, everyone was on edge. It was like a grand final when teams are neck and neck and you're nervous just watching it. Well, of course you're nervous just watching it. You're in the air. How, how you're 100 would, foot above. Was he 100 metres? No, it wouldn't be 100 metres. He would have been 60 foot above the water though. So I don't know how safe that is. That's but, right. Water will break. If he drops well, his stubby beforehand, break the surface of the water if he comes down. He'd be right. But back to the land-based fishing. Well, S, uh, CASA, they're investigating the matter as to whether uh, you know whether it's appropriate or not. Like, what is wrong with flying, you know, out of a man-made drone with a stubby in a fishing rod? <laughs> I can't like, tell if you're serious or not. This is, like, this is like the danger show that yells at me for doing stuff. But what does the world come to? If you're serious or not, Redmond, land-based fishing. Well, too. I think I think it was rather fun. Land-based fishing. You've been fishing a fair bit out of the barn yeah. lately. Well, I'm going to just quickly touch on what I've been doing. A um, bit of offshore stuff. So the gummies again, the whiting, the, the numbers are there, and they're that bit bigger fish too. So a lot of that sort of 32 to 35, which is better than the 28 to 32 it was last week. Yep. Well, last month, sorry. Um, so that's great to see in Port Phillip Bay. The barrel bluefin tuna, Pat, I'm not sure if you've seen during the week, there was a 110-kilo barrel spearfish, which is 
amazing. Oh, he's absolute got monster. Not, Port Mac. I'm not sure if I can say this, but he's got some uh, he's got some bigger balls than I do to go some in the kahunas. water. He has to spear a 110 kilo barrel bluefin. Like good on you, mate. Like that's honestly all credit to. Now you know more about this than I do. I haven't really spent any time spearfishing. Um, if you did spear a tuna, yep. Like, does it just take off? Like, um, I don't know how with something like that. It's run off a float. Now, I don't know. Oh, so I probably shouldn't be coming because I don't really know. But. So the, so when you spear yep. it, there's obviously a line which attaches yep. to the spear gun, but he would let go of that which attaches to a float. Yes, attaches to some sort of float, and then they... Because you might get towed away. Like if oh, you, no, if you you're did, not towed away. Down. Yeah. Imagine if it took you down to... Like, well, if you're doing 10 metres water and it held you down there, even if it was, even if it was 50. That's quite a... Like, yeah, like you there's said. more to it. I don't, and I'm I'm not a massive spear. I've done, I do bits and pieces of it, but not 110 kilo bluefin tuna. It's out of my league. But um, I've speared a few smaller tuna, which they're would hard there be sharks down there off Port Mac? Yeah, 100. Like, like yeah. swimming with Guaranteed. those. There would be bronzies on those bait balls. There would be, but what like, swimming with the tuna or not? I don't see why there wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, but I know what there would be is um, sharks. But I don't rec- definitely sharks in general. I don't like all sorts. Makos we fall on that bait. A lot of makos down there actually. Port Mac, there's you can know, nearly go down there and guarantee you're gonna have a nice day on the makos if you target them. Yep. It's a great fishery. The reef structure down there is incredible. Right through to the, to the shelf, basically crayfishing, whew, capital of it. It's really really good. Um, but goes back to like I've jumped in the water with marlin. Um, what twenty oh thirty plus k offshore in nearly 200 metres of water. And people say, oh, aren't you scared of sharks? But they're not there to eat you. Like, they're yeah. not... They're concentrating... You haven't the, speared the marlin, though. No, but they Yeah, I reckon it would eat the fish. I don't reckon it would go to the person, though. Like, I don't know. You just... Well, well, here's an example. I wouldn't be scared. I wouldn't be worried about the tuna attacking me. I'd be more worried about being tied or the or sharks tar. around it. Yeah, yeah. I reckon the... Tar, I wouldn't, I'd reckon the shark would have a go at the, the bluefin. But how did we somehow end up back on big bluefin from land-based fishing? I've, I don't know. Let's get let's back. Get, let's get but back anyway, to the, the, the rivers being, that you reckon are worth focusing on. Now, or I pulled a, the boat a in, small group of them. I pulled the boat in um, during the week after a gummy se- gummy session offshore, and um, I've been getting a lot of salmon in the bay uh, in the bay in Port Phillip Bay. So offshore, I tried to find some salmon and I couldn't find any. And I pull up to the jetty, and there was a fair few people actually. The whole river was full. The beach along um, the the actual Barwon Bridge itself, people riddled all over it along the beach and the Barwon River, uh, the Ocean Grove side of the Barwon River boat ramp, the pontoons there were filled with people catching salmon and mullet. And when I say that... It's great to say. Do you know what else they're catching, Pat, overnight? Mullet? Yeah. And like a few of them. So you can go out and catch a fresh bait during why it's light than fishing to dark and pick a tide change. But coming to this time of the year when the water warms up as well, Lake's Entrance, the flathead up there, like you can do land base, you can do estuary. It's an underrated fishery, I think, um, land base fishing. I think there is, I know some people make the most of it and they catch a lot of fish, but there's very selected people that do it, including myself. Yep. And um, I think we have a great fishery off everywhere from Bowen River right up to Bermagui. Now, I've seen people um, catching Sand flathead, um, sorry, sand whiting up there as well as. Well, I go up to Eden every year, and there's a waterfall there, and I'd love to tell you the name of it, but I don't know it. But and we go fishing up the back there. We drive the car up and through the water, through the salt, and there's this little stream there, and we're catching fifty, sixty centimeter flathead up there, just off the land. Like, what well, was windy, we couldn't get offshore. Where a lot of people at the caravan park want to go fishing on the boats, and they 
they're sitting around drinking beer all day where we can go down there and actually catch some fish. So the Burmy River's a great one. You've got Lake Entrance. Malakuta's a fantastic as well. Um, and also locally to us, the Bowen River's another great place. The Nelson River as well. Glenelg down Nelson. there, land-based. It's one of the best in the country with Nelson and the Glenelg River. People catching brim estuary perch, they're about to kick into gear as well when this temp kicks up a bit. Um, we've got a great land-based fishery, and of course, I always speak highly about it around the whole coast of Australia, the surf fishing. You've got 90-mile beach down off Lake's entranceway, and that down there, some of the sharks they catch down there is, like, um, massive. They're, they're big fish. So, yeah, land-based fishing, it's well and truly worth giving it a go and looking on Google Maps and try and find a few lakes that, or streams that no one else knows about, and you can catch some fish. Redmond, uh, before we get stuck into the show even more... Um Let's talk about your Stabycraft. You've had it for a while now um, and the maintenance you've found with having an aluminium boat and the tricks that you sort of learned over the last few months, how to, because you fish a huge amount yep. and the challenge that you've had is you go out for a long day, yep. 10 hours, and what the salt does to the aluminium yeah. and just how to care for your boat the best now, possible way. Because it has been, it's been a learning for you yeah, going even, from fiberglass to aluminium. Even yourself, like you've seen it on your Staby too, and it's not just the brand Stabycraft that it happens to, it's, it's aluminium in general. Any aluminium. Um, yep. And we're, we always talk honestly on the on the show about everything that we, we have, and one of the downfalls has just been the uh, the salt build up on the boat. Um, I clean the boat pretty good, to tell you the honest truth. It's one thing I do clean really good. Um, and... What's happening is, because I'm out in the sun so much, I think that the salt's actually doing a bit of drying out there. And um, you can, if I was to do it differently, I'd probably have the boat painted right right through the boat rather than, or some sort of coating. Because it does look a bit, um, it looks a bit like, oh, what's that? You can't get that salt mark off. You can't get the salt mark you want to get off. So basically, I um, I rang Stabycraft itself, um, Dan, who we've had on the show before. He's um, a friend of the show. And and I just asked him about it. And basically, a couple of things was a car buff with a bit of polish to bring it back, um, as well as Chriso, who has gone fishing charters. He said to me, a Scotchman's little um, Scotchman's... um, uh, what do you call them? Use them in the sink. Just a little oh, yeah, Scotchman's yeah. Um, uh, scrubber. Yeah, like and a little chamois. Still, yeah, just it's got a bit of a rough, um, like sandpaper, I guess, yeah. and just a light but rub. It's not too, not too much. No, yeah. you don't want to go too much. And then I just hit it with a little wet and rub to shine it up at the end, and it looked it come out unreal. Like it didn't. It's not a brand new boat because uh, it's not a brand new boat. It's done two hundred hours in a few months. That's how many hours I've done on that boat already. Yeah. So it's going to have that look, the fishing look. But I bought it back, and to tell you the honest truth, I was worried about it. I was really not happy with it, and then it wasn't hard work at all. It was just a matter of moving your wrist. I got my little brother to chop me out, and it took me a couple of hours to bring it back. And mine, the boat is going to be worse in my case because I use it so, so hard. And it's going to happen whether you use the boat once a year or how I use it, but it's the way that I'm sitting out there for hours and it's drying. So, um, yeah, a little tip if you've got an aluminium boat to bring it back to looking good. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tyres. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. You're listening to Real Adventures for the BF Goodrich TAKM3. Built to climb, made to mud and created to conquer. Now it's time for the social club. Thanks to BF Goodrich Tyres, what are you building for? Redmond, now Michael Crawford. Cubing guys, does it still happen or is it a dying slash dead method? Given we've seen some of these bigger fish prove trickier and several have fallen to unweighted pillies when the paint's been towed off the lures, is it a technique you've used or considered 
on these Vic Blues. I'm assuming we're talking uh, barrel bluefin tuna redmond cubing. Do um, you use it? Because I know you've done and you do it off Wales times. Yep. yep. Long Sydney, Burmese is quite common. Yep. Um, I've heard very, very mixed reports on what's going to happen with uh, bluefin fishery as such when, if people start to drop these baits into the schools. Now, this is coming from America. Yep. Now, uh, I spoke to Lee Rayner about this, and I've actually had a couple other people say it. What happens is when you're um, cubing fish, uh, there's no disturbance. It's natural feeding. Does that make sense? So you're cubing, you're cubing. So what cube means is you're basically throwing pillies in the water, cut up into cubes or whole pillies to try and bring the fish up to yourself. Now, it doesn't really happen here in Victoria. We don't get those massive, massive uh, schools of fish they do on the New South Wales coast to hold thousands and thousands of fish under you, literally thousands. Uh, there are a lot of fish in our areas, but there's usually small pockets of fish, and I think that's why we don't do it too much. But what has happened this year, now I haven't, I'm not a huge fan of it, just for the fact that I'm a bit worried about it, is people are now dropping baits into, um, into, into the bait balls rather than trolling the lures around them. They're actually dropping pilchards in as well as um, live baits as well. Now, in America... So they're clearly not like towing a skirt. They like don't know skirts. So they're yeah. just... But the thing Pulling is... Up, there's the bait. Drop it and in. they're flying around with their boats, which is fine. You're going to catch fish. It's great. Like, it's a great technique to use. And I haven't done it yet. I just haven't had the need to. Um, but the problem that's going to cause is... I think it's going to cause arguments on the water uh, because boats are bouncing and bouncing and bouncing where the, the little guys aren't going to be able to get to them because you can't troll as fast. Or you can't get there as fast. Yeah. The other thing is, coming back to what I was saying is, you know how America and Wicked Tuna that you see um, out in the Outer Bank... Uh, I think it's the Outer Banks, when they, they set up and they anchor and they burly and cube for the tuna to come up to them. And they have tiny little hooks. They, well, they have small hooks out there and yeah. they catch these... Um, Monster bluefin tuna, oh, northern bluefin tuna. Yeah, um, thousand think, pounds. Literally. And yep. they now struggle to catch them on lure because of the way that the cubing and the baits have taken over. So it's made the fish finicky on lures as such. Yeah. Now, I spoke to Rainer about this. He was the one that sort of brought it to my attention at the start. So is it going to make it harder to catch because there's no disturbance in the water and they're going to switch on to lures and not eat them at all? Or is it just going to be stay the same and it's going to still work. So I don't know. It's a good discussion to have. Um, I'm not against it at all. I'm not for it at all. Like It doesn't phase me. I'll probably do it too if I can't catch a fish. Um, but it's a, it's a very, it's a, um, it's a very good question that yeah, you've asked about the cubing. It just doesn't work as good here, but dropping baits into the bait balls does. I've just carried on a bit longer than I probably should have then, but next question's for you anyway. Uh, yep. John Cahill, good friend, <laughs> very good. Ebtide uh, Adventures, John. Ebtide Tackle, oh, good mate. Uh, well, this will be sarcastic from John. What makes you think John wants to ask you something like that? He's, oh, he just, he did not even a question. He said, Geelong's the best team in the eight. No, he didn't, Patrick. He said, <laughs> well, is Hawthorne, I was going to say, <laughs> is Hawthorne the best team outside of the eight? Well, we love John. We love Ed Tide Tackle. Uh, I reckon they might be, Redmond. Alistair, Alistair Clarkson, they were very... Is he the best coach? I know you've got a very good coach, but is Alistair Clarkson... Well, that was pretty impressive, the work they did um, in that last round of the, the season to go over to West Coast and beat them on their home turf uh, was quite extraordinary. So One of the best coaches ever? Oh, no doubt. Mm. Absolutely. Look at his, his record's extraordinary. Um, phenomenal. Um Redmond. Yes. Ryan Scribbins. Hi, guys. I'm new to boating, and I'm looking at buying a boat for the first time. Two or four-stroke outboard? Question mark. Um, 
straight up. It's, well, yeah. And it just depends how much you want to spend. If you've got the money, there's no doubt in my mind that you buy a four-stroke. And I think if you want to have – it's always in the back of your mind. If you want to have a bit of um, a bit of reassurance for yourself, um, four-stroke, two-stroke just somehow always seems in my head. And I know they do work well. And oh, it depends what two-stroke as well. well um, are you an older two-stroke or an E-Tech or an Optimax? They're a little bit newer. Yeah, but E-Tech is totally fine, you know when obviously. You, you know when you – yeah, but you know when you get on the old the – old, Saltwater series Yamaha, which they never break. Like Dad had one on his boat. He's changed to four stroke now. It's just you're always like, is it going to start? Well, I would I would debate that because on our project boat we've yeah. got a ripping Yamaha two stroke thirty horsepower. Yep, and it is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Well, first time every time. It's loud. There's no doubt about that. But the weight on it compared to a comparable four stroke, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a heck of a lot lighter. And I think at the time, like ours is what it's an early two thousands. Punt, so it wasn't exactly designed for four strokes. I think I think it's, it's like going back to what I said, a bit of reinsurance in your own self. I think you can always trust trust the trust a four stroke rather than the old two stroke. Just a bit of new technology. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Real Adventures Show, as well as Twitter and Instagram to join in the conversation. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodridge Tires. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. On Real Adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. It's time for all aboard thanks to Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Whether you're on the road or out at sea, Dometic has you covered. Our special guest this morning is Brett Pryor from West Coast Boatworks. Good morning, Brett. How are you, team? Going not too bad, mate. Thanks for joining us this morning. No worries. It's a uh, miserable day over in Perth, so it's not too bad to be inside fence for you, lad. <laughs> now, Brett, we've been trying to get you on the show for quite a while because both Aaron and I follow you on Instagram. And what West Coast Boatworks is, is basically boat restoration. Can you go through the business itself, how long you've been involved and, and how it all came about? Yeah, definitely, boys. Um, I would have kicked off my apprenticeship at least 16 years ago, and that was in the uh, building of fiberglass boats. So I managed to uh, get that certificate after four years and moved on to a couple of other places. And then only recently, about four, well, say recently, four and a half years ago, I decided to go out on my own and um, venture into business. And my aim was to build a really good team of boys that I could trust and um, we could put a good service out there to uh, people. At first, it was in the repair side, but then we started to look down the restoration side of the older older boat. What we've seen so over the last how we got started. What we've seen over the last few years is just the incredible popularity of restoring old boats, as you said. Um, whether it be you know old school deep V's, the Facebook site which has got well, that's probably the biggest one. Yeah. Deep V, the Haynes deep V hulls is probably one of the biggest ones in the country um, with the yeah, restoring it's gone side crazy, of things. Yeah, it? yeah. yeah. Um, and well, that t- sort of led us into um, sorry, boys. That sort of led us into. Over here in WA, you know, we had a lot of good fiberglass boat builders and then that all started to go downhill a little. Um, so I thought, you know, there's a lot more older boats out there and people are sort of, you know, weighing up the options of looking elsewhere or, or trusting what they have and, and going again into restoring. So that's where we're sort of heading with the business. In terms of your tips and advice to people that are potentially looking at that, because nowadays if you're looking at a boat sort of six and a half to seven metres long and you really want to kit it out, you're looking every bit of 150 plus 
for a new boat, which yeah. is a huge amount of money. What are the, I suppose, the traps when people are looking at, at restoring a boat that they need to get their head around because um, sometimes you, you can save really good dollars. Other times it's actually going to cost you more. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's, you know, I've, I've never grew up with money, so I've always gone in with a customer straight away and said, well, before we even talk about paint and, and fitting it out, let's look structurally at the boat and make sure, you know, your frames, your transom and your deck are all solid and in one piece, and then we can look at the restoration side from there. So you so are- that's sort of where we head with people, you know, straight from the start. And then if there's structural issues, then we can go back re-advise and look at quoting to virtually strip and rebuild and then start restoring cosmetically from there. So what you said then was structural. Obviously, transoms are massive, massive. Uh, it's probably the first thing you're going to check on a boat, the stringers and the transom if possible. The transom's a little bit easy to check. How would you advise someone, uh, can they contact uh, yourself and actually say, righto, I've bought this boat, Let's can, tell me what the transom like, and then you'll work with them to find a boat? Correct, yeah. There's a lot of guys out there that do pre-purchase inspections. So when someone's looking for a second-hand boat, I'd always recommend finding, you know, someone reliable and, you know, qualified shipwright. Yes, mechanics are always on boats, so they're always good people to use as reference. And um, they'll go over, inspect it, and then you sort of get a feel for what they're thinking of the boat before you uh, go ahead and purchase it. So... You know, most people, I don't do it personally. I'd rather be the ones that they call to in, to repair. Um, but, you know, for a $400 inspection of hull and motor, instead of buying a 40 grand boat having issues, it's money well spent, I think. It's um, it's more than just rocking up to a bloke's house that's selling, a, say, for example, an old school Hanes and whacking it with a spanner, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, and you've got to you've got to know where you know. You, I can go to a boat and pinpoint areas where structural issues will be shown straight away. Yep. Um, so that's tr- things such under. as things such as stress fractures and uh, yeah, cracks through the hull where yep. it's moving. Yep. And because you got a lot of in the old days, they never really fiberglass the transom over the deck where the where the motor bolts over. Yep. So when you start seeing that open up, you know you transfer it. At your risk of wood rot. So, yeah, we always, and a lot of guys just book it in now and get that all fiberglass up so it's rock solid and, and they're good to go. Let's talk uh, gel coats because one of the things that's really visual to see, certainly on, on your website and on your social media, uh, West Coast Boatworks, is just the difference um, that you can make to, to the, the gel coat of a boat and how it'll basically look brand new once you've finished with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, we took a, last year, this time last year, we took a 16-year-old leader Tomcat, which is a WA-built boat, to the boat show. And, and that was a bit of a challenge in um, trying to get in with the big boys, but we took the risk and we went there and that has a black gel coat on it. So your coloured gel coats wear a lot quicker than your standard whites and and there's so many processes that you can do. But with that one, we sort of stripped all the stickers off. We wet sanded it and then went through a polish and a wax process. And at the boat show, everyone thought it was a brand new boat. So, yeah, you know, we, we like to accommodate to what people's budgets are um, and then go from there. One of the things that I've seen uh, of late that you've done is a, is a Haynes Hunter. You completely... Um, restructured the dash and I suppose what we've seen over the last 10 years is um, the huge increase in size of screens and you've basically replaced the entire dash to through mount um, screens on a I think it was a Haynes 
um, yeah, Patriot. Yeah, the Patriot, mm. yeah, Dick yeah. Beatty. Yeah, um, we were very lucky enough to um, find him and the, uh, the most amazing customer in the way of he wanted someone that he could work with and I'm happy for all our customers to come in, meet the boys and, and be part of the team and, and we get the job done that they want. So, yeah, back in the day, you know, Dashes weren't really suited to have two 12 inches in them. So, yeah, a lot of uh, modifying the suit. But these days, that's what uh, all the guys want is the biggest stuff. So can you talk us through how you actually do that? Because you can actually see it uh, on your social media pages. Uh, pages. You get rid of all the elect- uh, previous electronics, all the, the engine gauges, and then yeah. I'm assuming you re-fiberglass it and then you cut back through it to maintain. you got to make sure, obviously, it's still got its strength um, once yeah, you put in those new yeah. screens. Yeah, that's right. So, like I said, everything will be stripped back. Um, sometimes we'll have to cut them down the gut and, and widen them to get the, the bigger width. But I think this one, everything's fitted in. Um, so it's just glassing up the old reapplying gel coat because usually the Hanes have a textured gel coat on their dash. So we virtually sanded all that off and we went with smooth white. And then, um, then it was just a fit out time. So... Yeah, anything can be done. That's why I love working with fiberglass and um, always a challenge. But, yeah, the end results are is what, yeah, How what do you makes go- us keep doing it every day. How do you go with the old itchiness on the old arms? You got used to that yet? <laughs> yeah, people walk in all the time and they start scratching straight away. It doesn't make me laugh. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Um, yeah, the mechanics uh, don't like coming in here. But, nah. yeah, they, um, they whinge a bit. But you get used to it after a while. And that's the same with the smell. Like Everyone goes, oh, my God, that smells amazing. And, yeah, to us, it's, it's the same stuff every day. So. <laughs> it, um, with with um, fiberglass boats, uh, maintenance uh, on a trailer boat, I guess, with the hull itself, isn't as crucial as was it, as what it is with a boat that lives in, it lives in the drink. Something that lives in a harbour yeah. um, regarding uh, your anti-fouls, and I'm not sure if you do prop speeds on uh, on propellers with more of the glass side of it. But um, yeah. under, how often should these days, anti-foul be applied to a boat. Are you looking at a couple of years now? Because obviously cancers can evolve into the hulls and things like that. So what are you looking at? Yeah, well, everything gets modernised and every, there's all new drink material coming out. But it used to be about a year. Every year, let's bring your boat out, let's anti-foul it, you know, maintain it. Now I think the anti-fouls are pushing out to about 18 months. But that also depends where you are like and weather. You know, we have some... Um, Climates that really makes the anti-foul grow, and then there's other times that you know it won't do anything, and your boat's free to keep keep running for you know maxed out for two years. So we all recommend about 18 months to have that process done, and um, keep on top of it, and it, it you know it helps so much. Now I've actually back in the day I, when I was on the charter boat, probably nearly eight, ten years ago now, Patrick, a long time ago. Yeah, we, used, we used to pull the boat out um, each year and do our anti-foul and. Something that I probably regret. Probably something that I regretted doing was um, reapplying the anti-foul on top of the anti-foul, and then having the fifteen layers of anti-foul on the boat itself, rather than bringing it back with the sander. Um, if I had one thing to advise, can you back me up here? <laughs> Should you sand it every season rather than just slopping it on? Yeah, well, when we say sander, you definitely want to. It's more of a process of just wet rubbing it. Would yep. be your better way. Now you you probably get covered in a lot of anti-foul wet rubbing it. Yep. Um, but, yeah, they, I think because it is such a, a dangerous, you know, material that wet sanding is the safer way of doing it and then reapplying. Yep. But it's definitely not a great job. 
Brett, yeah. we really appreciate your time on uh, Real Adventures this morning. I could talk boats all day, I think, Redmond. Um, yeah, you <laughs> well, could. you got me out of sand and timber, so I appreciate that, lad. Pat's never sounded any boat in his life. He's, I'm sitting no, here with that, any foul eye. And... No, that's actually not true. I did restore. I had a smuggler, a 6.3 metre smuggler. Oh, you did, you did a bit of work. If I had my time again, I would have taken it straight to Brett and <laughs> done none of it myself. <laughs> Paddy, the door's always open, mate. When you want a job, just yell out. It'll help you out for sure. Thanks, Brett. For more information from Brett and the team at West Coast Boatworks, you can visit their website, www.com wcboatworks.com.au Brett Pryor before, before we let Brett go just quickly Brett we've got, a, we've got a mate of the show very good mate of the show that's out of a job at the moment um, Mark Lacra. Um he might want to he get can do the, uh, he can come do the antifell <laughs> give him a call mate I, I will do that because he's looking for someone to store that big thing of his so he's hitting me up often so no we'll get him in we used to look after his polycraft every now and then so uh yeah, he'll be popping around soon, I reckon. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks very much, Brett. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Thanks Brett. Guys. See you, boys. Bye. That was all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Now it's time for Red's Review for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. For store locations, visit thirstycamel.com.au or talk to Aaron because he knows just about every one of them. Redmond, your review today. We're talking Amarok and their new and slightly refined V6. Now, you've had this for a couple of weeks now. Um, it's a relatively new player in the ute market. It's obviously been around for a few years now, but when you compare it to Hilux and Ford's Ranger, which was obviously previously the Courier, and then you've got Navaras and other yep. um, BT50s, etc. How have you found it? Obviously, well, it's been a, it's been a bit of a change for Amarok because they've boosted the power, which has obviously increased the um, the towing capacity. Which I think is one of the things that's most applicable for anglers. You need to be able to tow three plus tons. Yeah, so as long as you can throw over that tow over that three ton, you're usually covered for a lot of the average size trailer boats. Obviously, when you get into your bigger boats like your formulas and and that they get a bit over that, or some pushing close to four ton, Pat, which is nearly. Guaranteed, you have to be used to live, your bigger land cruisers. It's F trucks and those yeah, sorts yeah, of yeah, F trucks and um, along the lines of that. But all I can say to you right now is, I picked up the car that you said a few weeks ago, and it's the um, new V six Amrock, and it is a cracker. Um, the power this thing has is uh, nothing like what um, they were in the V four range. Now, I used to tow uh, with the V with the V four. Um, with G- Gibbsy, my mate Gibbsy had one, and uh, we used to go up the east coast, and we um we it was the twin turbo VC uh, V4 pat, and it was great on fuel and everything, but it was still the V4. Now this thing here is now the biggest engine in their in their class, and um I've just got the base model. Um, but the and engine's e- still the same. And economy, in terms of obviously going from V4, it's going to be more economical. Have you found that? The economy towing, has towing been... longer distances? Um, so when I spoke to the, the, the guys at Brighton Volkswagen, when I had a good chat to them, I, I tried to get in my own head a range of how I'm going to go with towing. I haven't done any big long trips yet, which is a bit of a pain, because what I mean by that is it's hard to work an average fuel when you're towing. Because... because and it's obviously going to be different when you see um, stats on a, on a spreadsheet versus towing two tons of boat. That's obviously going to be Oh, exactly different. right. Yeah, exactly. Well, they've got it here. You're going to use roughly uh, just under nine litres per 100 Ks, which is about right. I've yep. worked it out to be about right, which yep. is fantastic. Now, the towing, um, I'm, I'm happy to use a little bit of fuel as long as I feel comfortable that I can take off up hills. I'm not sitting there going 40 kilometres and it's got the power. Now, this car, I've towed... Um, 
to Queenscliff numerous times. I've turned over to Sereno. I've been over to Clifton Springs, into Geelong, in traffic. And the car, honestly, the bo- my boat's not super heavy, Pat. It's not a super heavy boat. What is it on trail? I, I, it's a good question, but I reckon it'd only be, what, did you, what would you say, around two tonne? I'd say tick under two yeah, tonne. Yeah, probably 1,900. Yeah, so around that mark. Yeah. So it's not a super heavy boat. But I don't even know the boats there with the tow inside of it. It's eight gears. Now, this is the benefit that it has in. So I drive it in the manual mode. So I flick it over into the sports manual mode. And what it does have is, um, like I said, the eight gears to go through. But gear one and two and three, sort of, you just get you get through them pretty quickly. And then through to gear seven, which is what you normally sit at towing, um, the car's sitting at 1,500 1, revs, gear seven into gear eight. Which would be the obviously having a, a higher output engine in the V6, it means it's working um, far less. Not as hard. Yeah, yet. far less. And that's also fuel consumption too. Yep. Your fuel consumption's down. So when I do those big trips, I'm going to get the exact figures what I'm going to do. So I'll probably head to Portland soon and I'll be able to use a tank of fuel just specifically towing, not actually in and out of boat on and off the trailer because I'm driving around the, the, the area as well without the boat on the back. But I cannot talk highly enough of the um, of the um, power it's got itself towing, like just out of like. I'm not talking, it's not a super fast car, as in like a sports car, but it's got the torque and the power to get you up out of the thing to go without revving its head off and it pushes through the gears extremely nicely. So if you need to pass someone, then it's obviously capable of doing Oh, that. exactly right. And it, but up hills, like up the big hill coming into Point Lonsdale, I'm sitting in set gear seven at, um, I think it's 80 kilometres of speed limits. I'm probably just above that. But it was at 80 kilometres up there and I just cruise up. Like it does not have a single issue towing. Now, Volkswagen have never been um, aligned with a tow vehicle. Like, how often you go to the ramp and you see a Volkswagen towing a boat? Well, that's what I was saying, because yeah, it's, 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 it's a newer it's a, ute. They just have been around a long time. That's exactly right. But also, the fact that when people see a four-cylinder car, they steve clear from it. Yep. For the towing aspect. Yep. Feels great. But towing, yeah, engines, twin turbo. Where this hasn't got that, it's got the V6 engine. I think it's single, or it is single turbo, and it pulls... Um, boats like mad. So I, I couldn't be happier with it. Um, and I'm looking forward to giving a big test on the road. Looking forward to hearing for that. For more info, it's Brighton City Volkswagen. Yeah, Brighton Volkswagen, um, obviously in Brighton. So check them out and they'll be able to help you out with a, uh, with, a with a couple of vehicles if you want a test run and uh, see how they pull. That was Red's Review. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodridge Tyres. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. I was going to lead... You're listening to Real Adventures for the BF Goodrich TAKM3. Built to climb, made to mud, and created to conquer. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tyres. Escape with BF Goodrich Tyres. And Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. Redmond, where are you fishing off this weekend? What are you chasing? Um... Oh yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit. I'm meant to be heading out tomorrow. I'm just going to wait and see what the weather report does. Um, Sunday morning. Yeah, Sunday you head out because it's going to be southwest, and um, I wanted to go offshore. Gibber wanted to chase these offshore snapper and yep. a couple of gummies, but um, probably squid and salmon. Bit of a bait stock. We might take the girls out. Um, take the girls. They get an extra ten squid. It's tactical. <laughs> but um, no, oh, and probably... spend time with your beautiful fiance. That's exactly why I wanted to come out, just so I can spend time. Nothing to do with the extra ten squid or twenty salmon for the for the bait stocks, but uh, no, I think that's what the plan. Just a bit of bait, a squid in the um, uh, South Portfield Bay. They're starting to see those numbers in the eggs. Ooh, any day, any day. It's time for Red's tip for new age caravans. Visit 
New Age Caravans dealer today. Start your summer adventure with New Age Caravans. Newagecaravans.com.au. Redmond. Patrick, now, I it was an accident how I found out this. I was a good friend of the show, Cam White. I headed out with Cam uh, last week, and I'm, people probably do this already. Former Australian but, cricketer. Um, yeah, he is, actually. He um, <laughs> headed out with Cam, and um, we went down the whiting, and he pulled out a frozen squid, and he goes, oh, crap, these are all my pre-cut squid at home for dinner. He tenderizes it all, and I don't tenderize my squid baits. And I thought to myself, because I've never done this, but I know a few people that have, what about when you sit at home, when you're doing nothing on a windy day, Defrost some bait so it's not quite defrosted or when you catch it fresh and cut all your whiting baits before you go out. Because you know what sucks? When you take out your freezer, a whole squid, and you can never get it in the winter, especially this time of the year, you can never get your whole squid to defrost properly. Yep. And your hands burn, like it honestly, they honestly burn. What about cutting it at home or while you're waiting for a snapper to bite, cut up heaps of strips, pop them into a container so there's one squid, two squid. So that won't affect how... Doesn't affect the bait. I can't, I can't see how it would because when you eat it, like obviously you're not going to chuck it in, un, put it in a container. And I know Craig, he does mussels, but I don't use mussels for bait. I use just pippy most of the time. But um, what about pre-cutting your baits before you go out, especially for the whiting? Because you know that you never got enough bait. You're always cutting all. You got a hot bite going. Pre-cut all your whiting bait. Well, you do it this week. And I'm going to do it. Know how it goes. Well, I know it went good because I used Cam's dinner that he had for his daughters at home, <laughs> and we caught our bag of big, big whiting we got during the week, Pat. Really big fish. There you go. Next time it's windy, cut up your whiting strips, get it all ready, put it in a tank. Or even container. what about when you're waiting for a gummy offshore? Just if you get on the bench and cut them up and put them in a container and freeze it. All right. That was a red stick for New Age ha- I'm, ha- I'm pretty happy with that one. <laughs> All right, it's time for the flying gaff for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. Off the top of the show, we uh, we spoke about your feet, and the gaff this week is is heading in the direction of your feet because you sent me a picture during the week of a horrific tattoo. No, no reply back either. No, it didn't warrant one because you sent me a, a horrific uh, photo of a new tattoo you've got. You've got a hook on your foot, and it says, Eden, New South Wales, 9th of the 3rd, 19. Can you talk us through what that is? Well, March, April, May, June, July, August, six months ago, <laughs> I accidentally got a hook through my foot at the caravan park when I was packing up to come home. I know. It wasn't just... I know, because you have complained for the last six months But how's this? It. I spent $1,000 on scans trying to work out what was going on a month and a half ago, because it was still hurting, like, I was whinging five months later. So you thought the best... No, no, not joking. <laughs> no, I spent 1000 bucks, and then all of a sudden, honestly, a thousand, I got the last CT scan on it, and two days later, I've gone to put my shoe in, uh, foot in my shoe, and I've gone, that didn't hurt. I spent a thousand. If I had have waited an extra two days, I wouldn't have to spent a thousand dollars to get the scans. But long story short, the tattoo. You could have given me a dollar, and I would have said you're a hypochondriac. That's your problem. No, it was bad. It was um. It goes in. So the hook's actually designed. So it goes in my scar. Uh, it's in the hole, and then it comes out the actual hole of the scar where that hook went through. It's the same size, exactly the same. Picasso esque. It's lovely. It's she like, did a great job. The tattoo. Yes. Um, Ink spot. I'll give her a bit of a shout out. Ink spot in Geelong. Yep. Nice. Um, you, you paid for that. Well, they paid me. <laughs> Ink spot in Geelong. That's where you went. They paid me. No, right. I, I definitely paid her. It was 200 bucks, and 
Actually, I told Car it was 70, so. (laughs) (laughs) On on that note, that is the flying gap for this week. Don't get, don't put a hook in your foot and then put a tattoo on it. It's a bit of a joke tattoo, a bit of a memory. This has been Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tyres. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNC's apply.